Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If Muslims are speaking about um, Palestine, Israel, that tends to come more on the radar. So that in itself could be uh, a sign of extremism, just yeah. to say that you're fed up with the democratic system and, and its hypocrisy. Prevent does not make sense in this context mm. is used as a political tool and it isn't actually used for security or safety measures. If politicians are allowed to stand up and say Israel has a right to defend itself. Yeah. Why can Muslim children, politicians, academics not also say the same? The anger we feel from Israel's continued barbarous shelling of Gaza cannot be put into words. The impunity with which it acts and the green light given by the West just reminds us that the so-called rules-based order is set up to serve them. With all this in mind, young people in particular are being reminded daily that Palestinian activism is viewed with suspicion by education authorities across the UK. In this country, the government has mooted the flying of the Palestinian flag could be supporting terrorism, and its prevent laws make it extremely difficult for our youth to voice and uh, give their support for our ummah, lest they are investigated for links to extremism. To help parents and young people understand how we navigate this minefield, I've invited back onto the Thinking Muslim, Dr. Leila Eitel Haj. Dr. Leila has been a tenacious campaigner to expose how the government has violated the most basic rights of ordinary Muslim citizens. Her organization, Prevent Watch, has helped countless Muslim families caught up in this net of accusations. Her diligence and assiduous approach to prevent cases has helped us shine a light on how destructive this policy is. Dr. Leila Eitel Haj, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, and welcome back to The Thinking Muslim. Wa alaikum salam. Thanks for having me back on. Now, Dr. Leila, it's a very raw time for all of us. And um, yesterday we saw the bombing of uh, uh, the hospital in Gaza. And uh, like you, I suspect we've all uh, just been glued to the TV screens and to our phones. 
And in particular, young people are pretty angry with what's going on and the injustice they feel. Uh, you're a parent and you know that um, our youngsters feel not only that there is a, a great injustice, but also that the system doesn't allow them to voice that injustice. And that's what I want to explore today. But let's just start with that anger young people feel. There is an inclination as parents to say to our young people, look, it's better you stay silent. It's better that you keep your politics away from, say, your schools, because your school teachers are going to misinterpret that and, and, and see it as a, as, a, as a form of extremism. Is that the right advice to give to our youngsters? Well, I think firstly, we have to just recognise that self-censorship has just become the norm for Muslims across the board, whether it's, you know, Palestinian solidarity or any other form of religious or political expression. We do see a lot of self-censorship. There have been numerous reports that we see and we have people who contact um, the Prevent Watch helpline. And one of the things they say is that, you know, they're afraid to speak about certain things. Um, with regards to what's happening at the moment, yes, people are afraid. They're angry, but they're also worried. Um, I think many parents are worried and we've had people ask us, you know, what should I do? Um, I'm worried that my child is going to say this. I don't think that is the right approach to self-censor. And in fact, just recently, a few days ago, we received a new case where this censorship reinforced uh, the justification for a prevent referral. Really? So a young child in primary school uh, was referred to prevent and when the head teacher approached the parent and spoke to the parent about what the young child had said, the parent reacted and said, well, you know, oh gosh, I, I always say to them not to have these conversations outside of the home. Mm -hmm. That was seen by the teacher as a justification like, oh, you know, so what conversations are being had at home then? Rather than accepting the reality that that is you know, that is the reality of Muslims, is that yeah. they self-censor. Yeah. Instead, they saw that as an additional suspicion, like, okay, so what are these conversations that you must be having at home? Right. So I don't think that's the right approach. I think that can backfire. And also it means that our children will end up going into school, treading on eggshells and not really understanding how to participate, um, which will mean that they don't participate at all. And again, that's a risk factor. So if children are withdrawn, if children are seen to not want to participate in discussions, mm. that itself is seen as suspicious because then it's like, well, what conversations are being had? You know, what do you really think or feel about this? Mm. I remember my daughter coming home one day, actually, from primary school, telling me that they had this um, moment of reflection that they would have every day or maybe it was every week. And they would have to say how they felt. So they go around and say, how are you feeling today? How are you feeling today? Mm. And one day my daughter came home and she was like, mommy... I told her I was feeling happy, but she said, it's not good enough. I need to explain more how I feel. <laughs> like this is a young child in primary school. Yes. So, you know, trying to extract how they're feeling, what they're thinking is already complicated, whether they're at primary school or secondary school, um, and asking them to censor what they don't truly and fully understand, I think is going to cause more problems. I mean, how widespread do you think is this self-censorship from your, from your reading of, of young people and how we interact with wider society? I think the censorship is less on the young people and more on the older generation. Really? Um, I think you can see that across the board in terms of social media posts, what mm. people are posting, how people feel. Um, it tends to be the older generation. And unfortunately, I think it's my age that falls into that older generation. <laughs> so it's the older generation who are telling their children to, to be more careful. 
However, you still see this in university students. I mean, there was a recent study which was about Islamophobia on campus. Um, Islam on campus, it was supposed to be. It touched on Islamophobia on campus, but Prevent kept coming up. And Prevent was seen to be on the minds of all of these students. Um, We had a UN rapporteur come and visit the year before last. um, And he was here again to explore Islamophobia, speaking to different organizations. And every organization mentioned Prevent. And so then he ended up inviting Prevent Watch to speak to them because he said, well, I have to understand now about Prevent because this keeps on coming up. So I think it is very widespread. It's documented as being widespread. Um, I believe it is happening at the moment. I actually got a message just this morning saying, uh, somebody's warned me about my WhatsApp status and said, you're talking too much about the situation. They wouldn't even say the word via WhatsApp. You know, how how do we stop this from happening? I, I don't understand. You made reference there to prevent. Um, can you explain that for our international viewers in particular who may not know what prevent is in the British context? So prevent is one arm of the UK's counterterrorism strategy. It is a pre-criminal arm. So it's it's basically looking at ideas and thoughts and beliefs that are supposed to make a person more vulnerable to uh, being drawn into radicalization. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to... The objective of PREVENT is to stop people from being drawn into terrorism, but it uses terms like radicalization uh, to try and describe it as if it's like a process. You know, there is a process where somebody might have a thought and belief, and then at some point they become more and more radicalized, uh, and that could draw them later on down the line to terrorism. Mm. Um, A lot of people from around the world might recognize PREVENT in the form of countering violent extremism or preventing violent extremism, depending on whereabouts in the world they are. But the UK prevent strategy is pretty much a best practice model that has been applied across different countries across the globe. And so how does it work? Just remind us, I know we had a conversation about this uh, a few months back, uh, but how does it work and how broad uh, is it applied? So all public sector workers have a duty to report any signs of radicalization. So to report anyone that they think might be vulnerable uh, to being drawn into terrorism. Right. So that is a duty that's placed upon them. So that's teachers, doctors, nurses. Uh, we also see private sector, although it's not a duty on them, we also see them taking part in this. So you have so companies, yeah, and, companies, right. staff from Boots to McDonald's to Marks and Spencers. You know, their staff are trained up in right. terms of how to spot signs of radicalization. Right. Um, and these signs are really ambiguous. I mean, they're signs that <laughs> this is why it's particularly dangerous for the younger groups. Mm. Is that younger age groups? Is there signs like, you know, a a transitional period, going through a transitional period, um, you know, wanting a sense of belonging, um, you know, just changes in mood, things like that. But actually, you know, especially if you have young teenage children, you understand that that is a daily reality for them. Um, So, you know, these signs of radicalization are supposed to be reported. So when a teacher, for example, and we get a lot of our cases from the education sector and actually a third of prevent referrals come from the education sector. So a teacher might, you know, be having a conversation with the class, child says something, they think it's a bit suspicious or unusual, and this tends to happen to Muslim children. Mm. Um, so they will flag it up and go and speak to the designated safeguarding lead or someone more senior, and they will decide that, yeah, you know what, we need to make a referral to prevent. They'll fill out a prevent form, uh, you know, what the concern was, and that will be vetted by a counterterrorism officer. Right, um, a police officer. A, a police officer, right. but within counterterrorism. So it's not just any PC plod. We're talking about somebody who is a counterterrorism officer because that's going into prevent now, right? And they will then decide whether or not they think it's a misinformed 
referral or if it's something that they need to follow up. And in most cases, they do follow up. Right. Um, and when it involves a child, it also it involves social services as well. So you'll have a prevent officer potentially going to visit the home or wanting to speak to the parents and the child. And you'll also have uh, social services, even if the family is not known to social services prior, um, coming and saying, oh, we want to do an assessment because we think your child might be at risk of harm. Um, so, yeah, so it's there are a number of consequences that happen after that. So once the prevent officer goes and speaks to them, hmm. you know, they may suggest that they go onto the channel program, which is the de-radicalization program. And that involves having a mentor. Um, and most people either say, no, they don't want a mentor and they don't want to have take part in it because it's completely voluntary or it's supposed to be voluntary, although we have a number of reports where people are being coerced into accepting this. Right. Um, uh, so, yeah, and if they do accept it, then ultimately the mentor might meet with them, have a chat, take them out. Maybe they'll go to like a youth service or something. So it looks different in each scenario, but that's a typical kind of case. And is it, you said it was voluntary to engage with Channel, but it is, is it compulsory to engage with the prevent officer when they come to your door? No, it's right. not. So that is also voluntary. I mean, the prevent officer doesn't actually have any authority. And that's why they tend to enjoy coming along with social services because people naturally want to engage with social services. Right. Um, but they won't necessarily engage with a police officer if they just randomly turn up at the door and tell you, I want to ask you questions, but I'm not investigating a crime. I'm just here to ask you questions. How many people would engage with them? Mm -hmm. None, right? Yeah. They'd ask, why are you here? What's your concern? Like, are you investigating a crime? Do I need to speak to you here informally? Yeah. It's all very informal. They don't receive anything in writing unless they chase up for it. So it's very, yeah, it just feels very informal. You say to them, okay, should I get legal advice? They also take that as a sign of extremism. So we've had in writing uh, responses back from social services and from Prevent saying, you know, uh, the fact that you're even asking to, to go and speak to a lawyer to seek advice, you know, is a sign of extremism. Wow. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. Now, Prevent has been around for quite a long time. And you've mentioned there that Prevent looks at certain types of signs of radicalization. Um, you've mentioned being withdrawn or going through a transitional phase. I mean, do you come across uh, Prevent referrals where political views are referred as potential signs of radicalization? Absolutely. So... Um, people have been referred for social media posts um, and many of these posts can be political and particularly we're talking about a certain type of politics. Right. You know, so if Muslims are speaking about um, Palestine, Israel, that tends to come more on the radar than any other kind of form of political expression. Really? Um, and with the recent recommendations by Shawcross to say, you know, refocus it back on Islamist extremism, um, basically Muslims are under radar and anything that is seen to be a Muslim grievance or a sign of political expression by Muslims that doesn't fit the status quo mm. uh, and the type of political expression that the government is is pushing or wants mm. to see um, can be yeah can be referred to prevent. Now I know it's be, it's early days and and prevent uh, advice or your you you step in after um, you know after. Uh, referrals are, are, are quite uh, in their advanced stages. But have you seen um, prevent referrals in this past week and a half since the Gaza crisis began? Yeah, so we've received referrals and other organisations that we are um, collaborating with at the moment because we knew there would be an increase of referrals and there'd be an increase of 
hate crimes and there'll be an increase in other types of uh, police pressure and silencing. Yeah. Um, so there have been a number of prevent referrals that have come to us as well as other organizations. There have also been um, letters that have been sent by the police to schools really? to remind them of their prevent duty. Um, and this is prefaced with, you know, uh, Hamas being a prescribed or terrorist organization mm -hmm. and that any signs or anything that they think is uh, need, needs to go through to prevent should be referred and to remember their prevent duty training. Mm -hmm. uh, we've also had have had head teachers send uh, letters through to parents as well. Um, and actually, in one of the boroughs, the police letter that was sent to the head teachers was also forwarded on to parents. So they could see what was intended to be a communication to the head teacher um, that came across very one-sided uh, and essentially, you know, is is reminding them of their duties under prevent. So, yeah, so we've seen not only increase, but I think we've definitely seen in the background and this isn't unusual. We saw it in 2021, even though we didn't see many prevent referrals come through mm -hmm. in 2021, the prevent rhetoric was being used by teachers in order to enforce sanctions across schools um, and we also saw as well some communications being handed down from counter extremism to inform schools at right. that point. And that was before Hamas was a prescribed terrorist organization. Right. Um, even now that it is a prescribed terrorist organization, right. having prevent pushed forward doesn't make sense by prevent's own logic. Right. Because if you're prefacing it by saying, well, actually, this is a terrorist offense to show support for a prescribed organization, yeah. then that's a terror offense. That's a crime. That's not to be dealt with by pre-crime and prevent. So it doesn't make sense. It further exposes the um, inconsistencies around prevent and further exposes the fact that prevent is used as a political tool and it isn't actually used for security or safety measures. We've seen uh, that um, uh, two years ago there was the Russian invasion of Ukraine and uh, Ukrainian activism increased across the UK. And in particular, schools had as held assemblies. They raised money in charity for Ukrainian refugees. There was a general, um, uh, I suppose, goodwill towards uh, Ukrainians, and it was seen to be an acceptable form of political activism. And of course, with Palestine, that's very different. And many education institutes have, been, uh, have stamped down on uh, on Palestinian activism, or at least made it very difficult for Muslims to express themselves. I mean, how do you understand that obviously obvious mismatch between the two mm. causes? Well, Palestine has always been a subject of interest that's come under Prevent Banner. So even in 2011, mm. Palestine is specifically um, mentioned in the 2011 Prevent Strategy document. Really? Okay. It's specifically mentioned, and if you look at the paragraph in where it's mentioned, it's mentioned in conjunction with, you know, Muslims often uh, feel a sense of grievance, and this can lead on to them supporting acts of violence. And then they give example of Palestine, Israel, and um, uh, Iraq mm. at that time. That's in 2011. Again, in 2011, uh, Michael Gove, who is best known for completely ruining the education in this country, yes. um, was then education secretary. And in 2011, he actually banned workshops that were um, specifically for uh, illustrating some of the Palestinian literature and human rights. So there was various workshops that were happening in this festival, and he banned that from happening. 
um, specifically. Like there hasn't been any ban of anything else, but mm. that was banned. Yeah. Um, so he also has a big role to play in terms of the new face of Prevent. Um, there were numerous conversations just before Shawcross had published his report and his recommendations. And if you remember just last year, there was a conversation about how far that report should go and whether or not it should name various organizations. Uh, and I believe that the legal advice coming back um, from within government was actually, you know, you're going to be you're going to be done for libel if you do that. Absolutely. Uh, and he was one of the people pushing for that. And he is now ahead of, um, was it leveling up? Department for leveling, the leveling up, yeah. which also has a role in the, what the new prevent strategy looks like. Yeah. So he's a very key figure, um, and he's shown his colours even back in 2011 when it comes to Palestine. Um, and I think when it comes to Ukraine, Russia, because there wasn't an obvious, you know, Muslim uh, involvement there. In mm. fact, I, I had one prevent referral that I can think of. There's one prevent referral I can think of that did include Russia, mention right. of Russia in terms of Ukraine and Russia. Right, so it was but a pro-Russian. It was a pro-Russian pro uh, and it was a young Palestinian boy. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was a young Palestinian boy yeah. and he said, oh, I like Russia. And that was seen as cause for concern and it right. made up part of the reasons why he was referred to prevent. Yeah. But there wasn't a Muslim angle there. And in fact, there were people who were going and traveling to go and fight uh, for Ukraine and that wasn't seen as an issue. Right. Um, you know, there are people who go and, and travel to fight uh, for the IDF, yeah. that isn't seen as an issue. Right. And just, I think it was the day before yesterday, there was a Muslim doctor who is in Gaza. Yeah. And uh, his family's been harassed by counter-terrorism officers. So there is a duplicity there. There is a hypocrisy. Everyone sees it. It's very, very obvious. Mm. Uh, and it is clearly targeted towards the Muslim community. And so when they speak about perceived grievance, it's really insulting because it's not perceived. It is very, very real. This may sound like a very controversial question, but do you blame people for being radicalized as a result of what they see on their TV screens and what they see on social media? I mean, it depends on what we think of in terms of radicalization. Mm. Like, what is radicalization? Obviously, the term is very heavy and loaded um, in a political sense to be something very negative. Mm. But, you know, somebody could be radicalized to act and take action and be more active and be more vocal and try to make change. Right. Um, so it could be quite a positive radicalization, even though it might not look so positive in terms of the government's stance because it's going to be an additional pain for them, mm. right, for somebody to call them out. But I think the, the fact that people are seeing what they are seeing day in, day out, they're seeing the attacks, they're seeing the bombs in Gaza, they're seeing what's happening in Palestine, they're seeing the silencing when they try to speak up, yeah. and they're seeing the response of this government which is flying in the face of anything to do with international law otherwise, or any kind of moral standards. Um, when they see all of that, I think it's very difficult not to further alienate them uh, and to further make them feel that, you know, they are not wanted within this society. Mm. Um, and this was a warning that was given by the UN Rapporteur, Rapporteur about seven or eight years ago. Really? That actually prevent itself could be causing the same thing that we're trying to prevent via prevent, which is the radicalization of communities, even though I don't necessarily want to use that word because yeah. of what it's you know associated with in terms of how it's used. But, you know, we've discussed it here. Mm. But, yeah, it's definitely something that can cause people to further mistrust. And we have seen that. We have had reports of that. I had a young boy who was referred to prevent. Uh, he's about 14 years old. 
uh, and the parents said he, he now hates, you know, he now hates the police. He hates authority and he absolutely cannot trust them. Right. Um, we had another boy as well who really did want to seek professional help for his mental health issues. Didn't want to see anyone from the NHS, you know, uh, and they had to go private to get that counselling because they could not trust that going to any type of support service um, wouldn't mean that then their child could potentially be referred again. Or, you know, any of his thought, he, how, how, how are you open when you're trying to seek support for mental health services when actually having a mental health issue is also a risk factor for prevent? I mean, I've noticed in the past couple of weeks, there is a, a feeling within the Muslim community that, not of hopelessness, I mean, I, I, just, I see a lot of optimism and a lot of um, good quality activism. There is a feeling that the system completely comprehensively just does not serve them. And I think that's even more clearer when we see the main political parties giving a complete comprehensive backing to the state of Israel. I mean, do you fear that, in particular for young people, the inability to show their anger and their frustrations in a, in a civil way, that's going to cause greater problems in the future? I think so far it has been very civil. So when you're saying to people, you know, you cannot wear a flag mm. or you cannot chant from the river to the sea, right. or, you know, even though there is not a criminal offence associated with that at the moment, and the police have made clear that, you know, wearing the Palestinian flag or, you know, saying these chants technically isn't an offence unless you're doing it on purpose to harass mm. a particular community. Yeah. Um, but it can be. Right. But when people see that these very civil acts are also being criminalised, then what are the other options that become available to them? Yeah. And also, if you think about how Prevent works and the idea of being civil and democratic, I mean, it's been a perfect example the last week of just how much, like, especially the young, are not going to look at any of democracy and think that it's working. Absolutely. So then that may lead them to think, well, you know, I'm not going to vote for anyone. I don't want to take part in this democracy. Mm. And that, by default, would make them an extremist. Because, mm. you know, if you don't have democracy, tolerance and all these other British values, mm. then you're an extremist. So that in itself could be a sign of extremism, just yeah. to say that you're fed up with the democratic system and, and its hypocrisy. Well, it's been used to justify against being extremist. Right. So to say, oh, I'm democratic and I vote, and this is used as part of the argument to suggest that they're not extremists. So yeah. therefore, the, the converse also applies. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Leila, what, what's the implication of uh, being put onto this prevent system? Uh, I think we spoke about it uh, briefly last time. But um, uh, so you said prevent is voluntary and one may or one may not engage and choose not to engage with the prevent system and, and the authorities can't coerce you into uh, into that engagement. Um, but is there a long-term implication for a young person who's referred to prevent? Yeah, so there are a number of, of um, impacts that we see directly and then further on down the line. Mm -hmm. So I think the direct impact is that initial shock of being referred, that initial betrayal that you may feel from whoever it is that referred you, bearing in mind that this is more than likely your teacher or yeah. your mental health care provider, you know, this is someone that you work with in close proximity as, especially as a young adult or as a child. Mm. So I think there is that initial mistrust and that initial tension in that environment of school or healthcare, wherever it is you've been referred from. Yeah. 
Um, there's also the, you know, you've been accused essentially, although it's not a crime, you know, and they say, oh, no, no, prevent isn't a crime. It doesn't go on your record. But you have been accused of something. Right. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And in fact, you've been accused of one of the worst offenses. It's like you are potentially the future terrorist. Like that is a really horrible accusation to make for someone who's made a comment as a child or, you know, has demonstrated a level of activism that they thought they would be commended for or written an essay that has then later on been said, well, actually, you know, I'm not sure about your essay because you're, you're a bit too critical. You know, we've had people who are reading up on history books mm. and then the Prevent Referrer includes that, oh, actually, they're reading about history books that might not be appropriate for their age. Right. You know, in any other context, you would say, oh, they're reading at a level above their age. Absolutely. That would be a positive thing. Yeah but not in this case. So I think those are some of the direct impacts that we see is just that initial frustration and upset, that betrayal, mistrust. Um, we've also had like direct consequences of, you know, one child who was questioned mm. because that whole questioning can be extremely traumatic. So we've had children questioned by themselves without parents, without other adults in the room. That can be extremely traumatic. You know, we had one girl who started wetting the bed. She was a teenage girl, started wetting the bed after that. She thought, you know, she was going to end up going to jail or something. Um, we've also had a, a parent who basically, it's been about four or five years now since her referral. Mm. She had officers banging on her door, two prevent officers and a social worker banging on the door of a very quiet street. Now, I don't usually meet my clients. Usually it's on the phone. Mm. But I did go and follow up with this client a couple of years after the prevent referral. Right. Um, and the, when I got to her door, like my hair stood on end because it's such a quiet suburban street. And mm. I was just in my mind thinking, oh, my God, I've heard the audio yeah. where these officers are banging on her door and they're threatening to send in um, armed officers to break the door down. Because they're saying to her, if you're not going to comply, we're going to send in uniformed officers to, to break this door down, mm. right? And I was just looking around and I was thinking, every single neighbor heard that, you know? This street is not, you know, you're not in the build-up neighborhood where, oh, yeah, it's just police yeah. officers knocking on someone's door. Yeah. Like, everyone would have heard that. So she, to this day, is still extremely traumatized by that. She, because her data, her child's data was shared with a medical professional about what happened, um, when the children were referred to prevent, mm. you know, several years later, her child was actually in intensive care um, and they were trying to follow up and they asked if they could run some DNA tests. And she was terrified. She didn't know why they wanted to run those DNA tests. And so in her mind, she was thinking, well, 
do they just want my DNA? Is this a further profiling and a further right. way of them obtaining data? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different ways in which it can impact someone. Um, but ultimately, when you are referred to prevent, although it is voluntary, um, your data stays, even if there's no further action, even if they realize it's a misinformed referral, mm -hmm. your data stays on the police database, across a number of databases actually, but on a police database, even as a child, your data is stored alongside an adult who's committed a criminal offense. Wow. There's no distinction. And it's on that database for a minimum of six years. Okay? And then at six years, it is reviewed. Okay? I don't know about you, but I went to my local police station actually for an incident that occurred only last month. And there wasn't a single police officer in the station. I was waiting at reception for like 20 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> okay. So I don't believe for a second that the thousands of referrals that happen every year are being reviewed every six years because that is not priority. Right. Okay. Firstly, so I don't believe that for a second. And secondly, what is the criteria for keeping it beyond six years? Mm. Because ultimately it's being stored under what is potentially someone who is going to go on to commit a terrorist offense. Yeah. Right. If you believe in the prevent logic, and how yeah. it works. Yeah. And so if it's under that category, it can be stored for a hundred years. Cause if it's stored under the category of terrorism, it can be stored for up to a hundred years. Wow. Also, if you've been referred as a child, then the likelihood is social services also have a record on you. Again, if social services close, no further action, it's still a point. So if something happens later on, they'll refer back to that as if it's justification. Oh, there's a pattern emerging. Right. And we've seen that even without prevent cases, we've seen that happen to families where it's no further action, no further action. Then something happens and they're like, you really need to accept support now because, you know, there's a problem here. And so that's the same. And again, you know, social services can keep that information for a very long time. So I think it's 25 years after the person turns 18. Yeah. So there is definitely a data sharing and data processing angle that needs to be considered. There were two high court cases where this was challenged for children to have their data removed after prevent referral. Mm. And they won those cases. And I remember one of the judgments, the judge said, you've completely underestimated, the police have completely underestimated the impact that this can have on the child's future education. And then not long after that, we received a report of a boy who was going into sixth form and he had his place withdrawn in September when he thought he was coming in for an induction day. Yeah. He was actually coming in to, have, to be questioned about his previous prevent referral in secondary school because the file, your safeguarding file, because right. prevent, is, prevent has been branded as safeguarding. So when you're referred to prevent, school will, will save it as part of your safeguarding file. And that safeguarding file will follow you from primary school to secondary and secondary to sixth form and also to university. Wow. So you don't get rid of that you know, stain on your record. It might not be a criminal record, mm. but it was certainly the basis upon which a sixth form withdrew a place in September yeah. for a bright young boy who then had to go and figure out where else he was going to uh, educate himself. Nada, this sounds very scary to me. And I asked you at the very beginning, you know, if you were a parent and you've got an angry child, should you self-censor and tell your child, just don't talk about Palestine in school? But of course, the implication, if they do talk about Palestine in school, is actually quite far reaching. Um, you know, what would be your advice to parents trying to navigate this really difficult time where young kids in particular students of secondary and college age, they want to express themselves. They want to talk about the injustice they feel and injustice uh, of the 
of what's happening in Gaza and, and the political hypocrisy. They want to raise all of this and talk about this. And they want to tweet about it and they want to use social media as a platform and they want to speak to their friends. Um, like, what advice would you give to parents uh, who are trying to, who are aware of the implications of prevent, but also want their child to be involved and, and to, to have, a, have strong political views? I think, firstly, um, you have to accept as parents if we say something to our children, they're likely not going to listen, mm. <laughs> especially when they're in the school context right. and if they're passionate about something. And this is an extremely emotionally draining time for yeah. even the adults, let alone the children who are seeing uh, what is happening in Palestine. Yeah. So I think that just accepting that firstly, to understand that even if you try to self-censor your child, the likelihood is they are going to be tweeting about it or messaging or on a WhatsApp group or at a school talking about it. So I think we need to accept that firstly and then say, okay, well, if they are going to be doing it, then they should be informed. They should understand uh, the boundaries and the limits of, you know, what is an offense and what is genuine political activism and expression. Give us those boundaries. So, for example, you know, at the moment, the letter's going out saying, you know, Hamas is a prescribed organization. Okay. Hmm. So if you're seen to be glorifying Hamas, then that's going to be a criminal offense. Hmm. So I don't think many people realize that, uh, especially not children. And in fact, many adults yeah. didn't realize what was happening. You know, they saw pictures of a fence being broken down and they started talking about it. Mm. They didn't realize, actually, this is an offense. And I was actually speaking to one person who did get caught up in this, um, you know, expression where it could be borderline, uh, you know, um, glorification. And she was completely shocked. And I said, oh, well, actually, you need to, you don't need to be speaking to Prevent Watch. You need to be speaking to a solicitor. Mm. She actually, like, screamed on the foot, like, audibly. She was like, what? What do you mean? I was like, well, it, it could be seen it's, as glorifying terrorism. Right. Right? And this is an adult. So let alone the children who are in secondary school or college. So I think yeah. they need to appreciate, adults need to educate themselves as well and just appreciate that. You know, by educating our children, that puts them in a better position and a, pow a powerful position, right? Because right. then you can articulate yourself and understand, you know, where the limits are. Yeah. Um, but also, I think understanding that, okay, yes, your data may be saved uh, if you're referred to prevent. It doesn't mean that there aren't ways to get your data removed. And we have been successful, even without going to the courts, in removing that data. Uh -huh. You know, if a referral is misinformed, you have a right for them to remove that data. And it's up to the police and it's up to those who are holding that data to justify why they're holding it. Even the safeguarding file for, of the school? The safeguarding file of the school, we have had some removals. I uh -huh. think um, pushing back on that really depends on the nature of the referral and what else has happened. Yeah. Um, but definitely from the police, we've been very successful with getting those removed. We've had a few at school removed and it really depends on how far parents are willing to push. You know, ultimately, if a school says, no, we're not going to remove it, then you may need to get a solicitor involved, right? You may need to seek legal advice. And yes, it may mean that if you're not eligible for legal aid, you may need to pay for it. But if it's a priority, then you're going to do that, right? I mean, I appreciate that not everyone's eligible for legal aid, but then they also fall into the bracket of not being able to pay for a solicitor as well. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that reality. But, you know, we also have to say there are ways to try and challenge it. Mm -hmm. um, we just need to ensure that we understand, okay, yes, there are ways. And this is why the helpline exists. You know, the Prevent Watch helpline is there. 
They can contact us via email. They can give us a call. There are also other organizations that we're all well aware of what's happening right now. Mm. You know, whether it's the IRU, whether it's CAGE, whether it's IHRC, there are a number of organizations who all appreciate what is happening, especially right now Mm. with Palestine. And we know which cases are coming in and why they're coming in. Okay, and we're able to work together to ensure that everyone's getting the right cases in terms of what their expertise are. Um, And also making contact with, you know, there are many people who are willing to do pro bono work, for example. So there is help there. Mm. And whether that's within the Muslim community, there is help there. But there's also help outside of the Muslim community as well by people who genuinely want to be involved and also share the same views that what is happening in Palestine, you know, goes against international law. Um, and they want to help and they want to put their expertise um, towards something that matters. So I think there is a lot of help out there. People might not understand what that help is. And so that's why it's good to touch base. And, you know, you might not get through to the right organization, but we all know who is working on what. So you can easily be signposted. As you're talking, I, mean, I always think about myself uh, as a young person. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so glad I didn't have Twitter when I was growing up because I would be saying all sorts of things at this moment in time. Young people tend to say silly things and they don't really think through what they're saying. I mean, we all say, but I, I suspect young people more, they, they, they're angry and they want to express themselves and, and they may say something that may sound like it's, you know, they're promoting Hamas without even knowing they're yeah. doing that. Um, you know, it does prevent taking into account uh, that young people across the board, whether they're Muslim or not Muslim. And I, I used to be a teacher and some young people in my class say outrageous things. But you sort of realise, okay, they're young people and next week they're going to have a completely opposite opinion and just that's just growing up. Yep. Does Prevent take that into account? I mean, firstly, Prevent doesn't take that into account because it's the basis of the risk factors. You know, certain things are being said, you just refer. Mm. You know, rather be safe than sorry, just refer them, we'll figure it out. We'll figure out whether or not it's a cause for concern or not. Mm. Um, secondly, like I said previously, like prevent in this context doesn't really apply that much. Um, and if they try to apply prevent, they're just going to look really silly. So I'm not sure how many prevent referrals we will see by the end of the month, like bona fide prevent referrals where the referral is made to prevent and prevent decide to follow it up. I think there's going to be a lot of referrals made to prevent in the first instance with teachers just going, right, I'm just going to refer because students said this, I'm just going to refer. I don't think many of those would be picked up by Prevent. I think they had a lot of, um, yeah, they had quite a bad experience, I think, quite a few years ago when um, there was a case in Luton with a a child who wore the um, uh, Palestinian... uh, Bracelet. Yeah, bracelet. I was referred. And they just looked really, really bad for getting involved in that case. Wow. Uh, Tried to deny that they were involved in that case and then didn't really touch anything publicly after that when it came to Palestine. So it was all very much behind the scenes, you know, sending advice to schools and stuff like that. Mm. They didn't actively try to push back uh, very openly on another case that involved Palestine. Mm. Um, They were definitely there and made sure, like I said, in 2021, we know 100% that they were sending messages via the counter-extremism unit. So they were sending messages through to schools in terms of how to deal with with students, but it didn't happen. And I think Prevent isn't going to get that involved in any of these cases. And what we will potentially see are a lot of test cases if people are willing to follow them through. Where, like you said, people might say uh, things about, um, you know, the right of Palestinians to resist, mm. right? Well, what does that mean? What does resist mean? Yeah. Right? And, and what does international law say about that? Okay. And when you have politicians standing saying, well, Israel has a right to defend itself, mm. well, Palestine actually has a right to defend itself because they are the occupied people. Are you allowed to say that, Leila? 
well, I believe I am, but if I'm not, then I guess this will be a test case, right? Mm -hmm. And it won't be a test case for prevent. It will be a criminal test case. Right. Okay, so it won't be within the realms of prevent. Right. If a prevent say, oh, you said this, well, okay, what, what does that mean? Does that mean later on? Or yeah. does that mean I actually committed a, an offense? Right. right. So actually, if you look at international law, it speaks about people who are occupied and how they are able to resist. Mm. And given various caveats, armed resistance is a way. This is what I've read according to international law. Mm. So if politicians are allowed to stand up and say Israel has a right to defend itself. Yeah. Why can Muslim children, politicians, academics not also say the same? Why can they not also say the same without it being implied that actually they're supporting uh, a terrorist organization? Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, tell me about Prevent Watch. Do you charge for your services when someone contacts you? How do you... No. How do you organize? So it's a free helpline. It's a free service. We offer support and guidance, and each case is very, very different. Mm. Um, we might signpost them to other expertise if those expertise are you know, more in line. So, for example, if it's a case where someone's been suspended or excluded, then we know there are other organizations out there that specifically deal with this. Right. Um, and as much as possible, we try to signpost, if we do need to signpost, to other organizations that don't charge. Um, and we do have solicitors on board and barristers on board who are willing to give a degree of advice and a lot of that is pro bono mm. but not all of it is obviously it depends you know you can't expect that a case is going to go forward yeah. um and it's going to be challenged but and nobody's going to get paid because it's not necessarily the case that every solicitor is going to spend hours on that and the barrister okay. is also going to be included in that but yeah a lot of the time um our clients are able to receive advice from legal teams as well as any other support and guidance that they need and all of that is completely confidential completely free um yeah and the helpline is really easy to get through to um yeah and so, so how are you funded and how do you we're funded year? through the community okay so we do recently we got one charitable donation uh, one donation from a charity but otherwise we're completely community funded and we mm -hmm. have been for the last eight years of our existence right so, yeah, we rely on community donations. We rely on people just saying, okay, this is a great cause. I'm going to donate and go to our website and donate. Mm. Um, sometimes clients who, you know, are able to donate say, actually, I, I want to donate to you. Mm. Um, but that has nothing to do with the service, you know, that they get at the end of the day. It's all the same. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, that's how we're funded. And, I mean, I think if you look at even the way organizations are funded, and that includes Prevent Watch, yeah. you know, this and this censoring extends not just from, you know, it's not just about speech and expression. It's about who you're associated with. Right. And so I think a lot of organizations ultimately feel that strain that, you know, people might be afraid to support them mm -hmm. financially. Mm -hmm. And I think we see that year in, year out as organizations are empowered to speak about different subjects. Mm. Um, people can feel a bit like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be seen to be supporting that organization, especially not with funding. Yes. Um, and this is one of many tactics that is used to, you know, smear organizations, um, you know, whether it's via the media, we saw that with just before the Shawcross report came out and actually from the Shawcross report, you know, a lot of the Shawcross report, its recommendations on prevent came from and stemmed from his attack on different organizations who had raised concerns and criticisms about prevent. Mm. Prevent Watch wasn't included 
in that. Mm -hmm. We may have been included, but we definitely uh, took a proactive approach before that report came out. And we put the Home Office on notice and told them that if they mention Prevent Watch, then we will be taking legal action because we feel that that would be um, that would fall into libel because they would have had no reason to mention us. But they did mention a number of organizations. And unfortunately, um, it is the case that people then feel a bit afraid and think, oh, you know, that organization's been mentioned, that organization's been smeared. I don't want to participate in that. So I think a lot of organizations are going to feel um, this pinch in terms of fundraising. I mean, we're a small organization, so we haven't necessarily felt it. So I'm not sure if it's there for Prevent Watch. Mm. Um, but yeah, definitely the more support we have, then the more people we can uh, we can go on to support and build that capacity. And so would you send me a link so I can put it in the show notes for our viewers yeah. if they want to yeah, sure. uh, donate money to you? Um, Dr. Leila, if a, if a 16-year-old came to you, I don't know, he's just started college and uh, or she's just started college and wants to get involved with activism and wants to get people to the demonstration on the weekend, wants to wear a Palestinian flag or a, a Palestinian scarf and, and just wants to create awareness about what's happening in Gaza. You know, with all that you've said, maybe their parents uh, have taken them aside and said, look, you know, it's not worth uh, being too outspoken. They know about the prevent environment. They've got a hostile environment already in school and, and many schools are banning even Islamic charities from collecting money. What would be your advice? What advice would you give to that young person? I mean, firstly, I think they need to understand what their rights are. So, you know, they need to understand that distinction between what really is classed as extremism or terrorism. Mm. You know, freedom of expression, that's not extremism. Even if somebody tries to make it extremism, it's not. Yeah. It's a bit like Swella Braverman saying, you know, uh, wearing a flag, I think that needs to be a problem and I'm going to speak to the police about it and chanting from the river to the sea. Like, yeah. she can say it all she wants. But... Ultimately, the police also need to follow the letter of the law. Mm. And so, you know, unless she wants to push something through as legislation, um, which could equally happen. I mean, counterterrorism legislation has been increasing year on year for the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, then it's not going to happen. And when you push back and you come down to it, actually, it's about what is right and what is law and what isn't. So, you know, the right you have the right to express yourself. You have the right to protest. Um they have the right to wear that Palestinian flag and not feel that, yes, actually this, you know, don't let that be associated with terrorism. Don't allow that baggage to be given to it because it's a completely legitimate flag to wear. Um, and I think, you know, parents who are worried and think, oh, you know, Prevent is going to get involved. I've just already, and maybe I haven't so much because I've given all the impact and the negative parts about Prevent, but I've, I have definitely highlighted the fact that, you know, Prevent does not make sense in this context. Mm. Um, even if they try to make a prevent referral, you know, contact us and, and let's see why they've made the prevent referral and what their concerns are um, and get the schools to justify their actions. You know, how did they react uh, during Ukraine-Russian war? You know, how did they react in 2021? Do they have a history of this when it comes to Palestinian activism? You know, how and why have they reacted to your child and why are they saying that they can't wear that flag? Mm -hmm. You know, is it a school policy? So there are definitely ways that you can challenge. And I think, you know, if we don't teach our children to challenge today, then what's going to happen tomorrow? You know, at the moment, if we say to our children, you need to be silent, yeah. then maybe they will take the advice of their parents. It would be very surprising, but maybe they will. You know, And if they do, I think that's 
that puts us in a really horrible position. I mean, we're already in a position where we have, you know, people in positions of authority who aren't saying anything. Yeah. You know, Muslim MPs. Silence. Mm. You know, they speak about representation. Oh, you need representation. We want our children to see this so they know they can grow up to be this. Mm. The same people pushing representation aren't representing a very key issue for Muslims right now. Yeah. You know, so I think one of the best things about our children, and I think one of the most frightening things for Prevent and for government is that they are outspoken and they are two steps ahead and they are willing to say how they feel. You know, and if that's threatening to government, they're tough. You know, if that's threatening to the school, they need to justify why it is that they're not allowing for children to do the things that you would expect children to do, especially in colleges, especially in universities. These are places where, you know, you have societies and universities. Mm. People go and they belong to different groups and they want to feel part of that society and they want to be active in doing something and, and feel that they're actually participating. So I think the advice to whether it's a 16-year-old or the parent is is the same, essentially, you know, mm. Do, do the protest, get involved, speak up. Um, and, you know, when you get a response back, challenge it. So we need to be intelligent, but brave. Yeah, absolutely. I think if we're not basic, if we're not, you know, if we're not taking a courageous stance for anything, then, I mean, you know, we, we can't complain when later on down the line, mm. more than that is going to happen. You know, now it's like, oh, there's a silencing. Tomorrow... It's legislation. Why not? You know, things don't come out from, you know, Prevent wasn't just born out of a, a vacuum. Prevent was a policy for five years. Then it became a duty. You know, and each year, you know, or whenever it's revised, it wasn't, it wasn't revised each year. But, you know, each year when something new comes up, it's because it's built on the previous year and it's built on the silence of people previously. And I think our children are very much aware of this from historical events. They understand that if you don't speak about things, then things will only get worse in the future. Mm. So I think this is a very key moment. And I don't know, I'm very hopeful because I think that based on the turnout that we've seen at the protest, you know, on the weekend, even though people were saying, oh, no, you know, there's certain chants and, and flags, people still turn up mm. and they all had their flags. And the majority of those people who turned up were youth. So I think they are willing to, to go. And, you know, there weren't many arrests over, over the weekend. Mm -hmm. So... You know, and I don't know what came of those arrests and, and if anything will come of them. But, you know, this is change happens when you actually push those boundaries and you challenge what you're being told. And I think the schools especially, you know, need to be challenged because we send our children there and they've definitely been uh, showing a double standard when it comes to different world events. Um, and we can't let them get away with showing that double standard. They're getting information, you know, and they just bat it off when you challenge them. We have had, you know, there was one parent just last week who challenged and said, you know, why did you, uh, why did you send this letter out? And they said, oh, we, we got it from the police. That's, that's not a justification because yeah. you got it from the police. I didn't mean you had to send it across to everyone else. Mm -hmm. So justify your stance because you have a great deal of discretion as a head teacher in terms of what you do and don't do within your school. Dr. Leila Eitelhaj, Jazakallah Khair. Thank you very much for All your right. time today. Thank you. Please remember to subscribe to our social media and YouTube channels and head over to our website thinkinmuslim.com to sign up to my weekly newsletter. Jazakallah khair. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.